<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Hey, folks, we'll talk with the great Michael McDermott here in just a second. But first, now's the time to help support independent media. And you can do it for just a few dollars per month by subscribing to our bonus content on our Patreon page. Go to bobseskashow.com and pitch in with as little as $1 per month. But if you sign up for $5 or more, you'll get all kinds of exclusive bonus content, including the post-mortem show. And if you sign up for $10 per month, you'll get our Friday After Party podcast, where Kimberly Johnson and I talk about politics, pop culture, sexuality, and our personal lives. Plus, you'll join one of the fastest-growing communities of podcast listeners around. That's bobseskashow.com, or just click the all-caps Patreon link beneath the logo at bobseska.com. And now, let the cartoons begin. Broadcasting from Resistance Headquarters, relentlessly fighting back against the clown dictator and his regime of deplorables. Never give up, never surrender. This is the Bob Seska Show, presented by BubbleGenius.com. From our nation's capital, it is Wednesday, April 8, 2020, and this is the interview edition of the Bob Seska Show on the Sexy Liberal Podcast Network. So today, I thought we'd try something new. My guest is a singer-songwriter, Michael McDermott. Those of you who listen to our Tuesday and Thursday shows will know his music. Well, today, we're not only chatting with Michael about his life and his work, but he's also agreed to perform three songs live here on the show, hence the reverb on his voice. You'll hear what I'm talking about. See, I'm a total fanboy, so this was a rare privilege for me. You should be downloading all of his albums from Spotify, Amazon, Apple Music, everywhere you get your digital music. I assure you, you will fall in love with his music like I have. Michael-McDermott.com, that's two T's in there. Okay, here comes the amazing Michael McDermott. I want to thank you for allowing me to play all of your music here on the show. I just, I love it so much. Um, there is something that is extra special about your work almost to the point where i feel like should i be allowed to play this at all i mean it seems like it's way beyond the realm of See, being Bob, able to play i would it. pay you i would pay you to play it see that's what you're failing to understand right from the get-go let's be honest here so how are you dealing with all of this michael how are you surviving in the the era of the plague on, on top yeah. of the trump crisis and everything else that is kind of uh, weighing on all of us. Yeah, it's. Uh, I was out west when it, I was like in Sacramento. I had a show in Sacramento the day like the first case broke, and I remember going, "Oh shit, that's that's right by here." And and uh, and I didn't know, and my wife was very concerned, and so she was. You know, I don't. I don't even know if she was that concerned about me getting it, but she didn't want me bringing it home. And mm -hmm. uh, so she. I remember I was driving. Then you know, I did the whole West Coast and. I was like, either my agent wants to kill me or I'm just chasing this virus and a uh, virus chaser right. could be in my new show. And uh, <laughs> and uh, 
so I called the doctor, or she called the doctor, actually, and had the doctor call me back. And so, yeah, we, that was the early warnings of, you know, testing. He said, you can't, well, we just don't have one. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how are you feeling? I said, I feel fine. And so that was the beginning of it. And I, I was in, then in Seattle. I was eight, had a show eight miles out of uh, Kirkland, Washington, where it was starting to explode like the day before. And the show went on, which probably wasn't necessarily um, the smart thing to do, but we did it anyway. And uh, so that was it. So now I'm quarantined. Um, my life as, a, as an artist is pretty pretty isolated anyway, so this isn't a, a huge difference to me, you know, reading, yeah. writing, watching movies, watching docs, trying to... This is a little more focused on trying to, um, you know, use uh, this time to not atrophy mentally or emotionally or any of that. Yeah. So I've been just working on that, doing different things, you know, like, you know, doing crazy people, breathing exercises. I've started taking cold showers in the morning first thing. <laughs> which is insane yeah yeah (laughs) totally just getting it it's like the ice bucket challenge every morning right right uh, it's supposed to stimulate your immune system all that yeah but anyway so it's just uh it's but my life isn't that different you know it's a it's a quiet and uh it's definitely you know a friend of mine uh from california jude cole he's uh, he wrote some great songs and uh, Mm -hmm. he's a manager of lifehouse or whatever but he had made this post about uh la seeming very 1970s he said it's it's like the 70s again like the free ways are are quiet and the, the, yeah. there's not as many planes and there's a hum that we don't even notice in our day-to-day life that just kind of slowly agitates us i think you know yeah yeah city. and uh, and that's not there anymore and you can kind of feel that and, and that's a it's really it's a it's a it's a great pause button i think you know it's a terrible mm-hmm. crisis and for those vulnerable um but it's a it's an interesting time yeah, uh, yeah. to to refocus and reprioritize. How's your daughter dealing with this? I mean, Rain is old enough now to know what's going on. How did you explain she, all of this to her? Yeah, I've tried in very in, ineloquently to say, you know, this is really unusual and this isn't, you know, and she misses her friends. But, you know, they so much of their life now, Bob, though, is, is uh, you know, uh, on phones and tablets and, you know, that stuff. So, I you know, I haven't noticed really much, uh, you know, she gets a little weepy for them, but... Uh, but other than that, we're we're pretty hunkered down. Yeah, and she's not bored to tears. She's keeping active with the. Uh, she's a kid. She's always bored. You know, I said you're too young to be bored. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I've become my dad. Stare at the wall. That's where the best ideas come from. Just stare. Well, speaking of that, I mean, is she at all interested in the music in terms of performing and writing and, and she's playing? Not very much. She loves to dance. Yeah, she's a. She's literally she wakes up dancing, and it's it's a beautiful <laughs> thing to see somebody like that. It drives me crazy, but. Um, but yeah, she's a. Uh, but yeah, she's got a great voice. Just doesn't really seem to be. Uh, she hasn't been bit by the bug yet. No, I see. Well, so you're and your family. You guys are living in the house where you grew up, aren't you? I am. Yeah, where, we, where is that? Where Where are you living right now? It's a little town called Orland Park. It's 20 miles outside of Chicago. Wow. Okay. And uh, it's 20 miles and 20 years back. And there was a. I was. We went for a walk the other day, and I saw the biggest. Trump flag in the front of this house, oh, just God. like seven doors down. And I just went, <gasps> we both went, <laughs> you know, yeah. and I just, I, I, we were, I was, I, it, I thought about it like all night. And the next morning I woke up, I said, I can't stop thinking about that flag because the flag, like you wouldn't hang a Cubs flag that big. It was like the most <laughs> audacious, gross flag. If it was any, if it was a Cubs flag, I'd be like, seriously, <laughs> I love the Cubs, but that's ridiculous. <laughs> right. So, uh, but yeah, so it's a weird little conservative town and, 
And we have this little, like, kind of country diner that Heather almost got into a fist fight with a guy. Seriously, he was like, this, Jesus, yeah, about gun control, and and they uh, <laughs> and, and and some of the lines we just go in there and they're like, you can't even call them spicks anymore. You know, that's oh the my we god, yeah, really? Yeah, it's unbelievable. Nice. So yeah. we we stopped going obviously because when Heather was gonna get into a, like really she like threw down at night <laughs> she before get a stood fight. up the chair flew back and she's like are you are you serious are you talking and I was like hey 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 everybody take it easy because we know who's gonna get shot when he pulls out the gun it's not gonna be you yeah, it's gonna be me that's true yeah. yeah for a second there before you brought up the gun I was thinking well maybe <laughs> right. she could take the guy you right know, you know yeah. what I mean yeah they they but tend to they tend to be cowards more often yeah, than not yeah, but, no yeah. I know yeah. yeah and we know that so yeah we stopped going to this place and we talk to the owner and whatever but um yeah so it, this was never part of the dream to move back into the house you grow up in i mean because you yeah. spend your first 18 years thinking of like every possible way to get away from it yeah yeah what happened yeah so i you know i've lived all over you know lived in new york and lived in la and memphis and seattle for a while and uh but yeah so my you know my folks were getting old and uh i came back to kind of you know kind of be near them and then they passed away and they left me this house and, uh, you know, my family, my brothers and sisters, I'm the baby. And they said, do you want it? And I said, geez, man. Wow. I don't know. I don't know if I want it. You <laughs> know, there's a lot of ghosts in there. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I can we, imagine. We, yeah. So it's just, it's, 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 it's taken a while. It feels like I'm, you know, it's because it, then we just gutted it and made it a different house. So, you mm -hmm. know, I wouldn't sleep and die in my dad's bedroom. You know, that was just too creepy. And so we reformatted the house. And um, so it's different. Uh, but, you know, I'll still go to walk out and I'll remember, oh, you should get a jacket. And I'll turn to go to a closet that's not there anymore. And I'll go, wait. <laughs> uh, you know, so that's it's weird. But I'm, I'm you know, I think it's I don't know. I don't know if where this is and the trajectory of my life. Yeah, but, there's uh, something that's uh, almost spooky. I mean, I did something yeah, yeah. similar. I mean, I'm not living in the house where I grew up, but I certainly moved back to the general area where I grew up. And even yeah. that alone, from the perspective of you, when you're living in a place, like I lived in Hawaii for five years, for God's sake. Wow. And so you come back to the D.C. area, Washington, <laughs> D.C., at where I spent the first 18 years of my life. And it feels like I'm looking at those old yearbook photos and going, how did I, why did I cut my hair like that? I mean, that's a, it really feels like that. Or almost as if like should i take this as a sign that i'm failing or giving up right. or something like that i mean did right. you experience any of those emotions I, at, at all of those emotions yeah. yeah like so in in when i i had kind of come out here to regroup i had some trouble in my life as you may or may not know but so i mm -hmm. came back and and it's the thing about you your life and and mine just based on what you said is that you know we went elsewhere and we came back but the people that we grew up in they never left yeah and there's a there's a there's a disconnect there that you know the those people that we know kind of, and very kind of familiar with they don't think the same way as we do because they yeah. never got out that's right and uh so yeah so going going back uh that's what I, at least this is what i tell myself and uh <laughs> I so know the, i know the right? feeling yeah you yeah. know like well i've been lived in new york you know <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, go I to the start. grocery store. Hey, I, I used to. I'm living in Germantown now, but I yeah. used to live in Kona, Hawaii, motherfuckers. Oh, my, it was like, no know, one Heather's, cares. Heather, I think Heather's father lives in Kona. Isn't that funny? Oh, that's yeah, so. Oh, wife, that's yeah. oh, that's awesome. Was, yeah, I love she that. She was place. born. She was born in Hawaii, and and her 
Um, her mom was very young, and her father uh, was young, and the 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 her grandfather was this uh, this uh, military guy who literally it was a backroom deal. She met her dad; he got him mm-hmm. thrown in jail, and and Heather met her father as an infant, you know, as a, as a newborn in jail, and then they put mm-hmm. her up for adoption. They got her off the island like within a week, and uh, they found an adoption for her. It was all very shady, and yeah. uh, mm-hmm. she grew up in was Madison, Wisconsin, of all places. Wow, from, that's a real yeah. change of pace going from. <laughs> <laughs> there to Madison. You poor thing. Congratulations, yeah. you won the unlucky lottery. <laughs> so, so as you're growing up, I mean, obviously, uh, I imagine music was a, a part of your life at, at a relatively early age. I mean, were your folks uh, supportive of uh, your interest in uh, in playing? They weren't happy about it. I mean, they weren't. You know, uh, they were very supportive. Once you know, uh, they, you know, when I wasn't going to go to college and and all that and. I went to one day and then I quit. And yeah. uh, once I got the syllabus, I was like, yeah, it's just not for me. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, they kind of gave me a certain amount of time. But things happened. I was very lucky. And uh, and then, you know, once you're on CNN or whatever, you know, mom, mom was all in after mm-hmm. that. Yeah, you know, interesting. And uh, New York Times and all that. So so then they were, they you know, they were at every show. Mom was always in the front. Mom, you can't sit that close. I can't do my job when, you, when I'm looking at you. You know, I'm trying to create an illusion here. Yeah. When did you first uh, decide? I mean, when did you have an epiphany? They said, you know what? I want to try to do this as a living. I want to try to do this for the rest of my life. When did that kind of happen for you? Yeah, it was in high school, I think. You know, I first started playing when I was in eighth grade, like yeah. the Rolling Stones, which is so funny that the... the I won't say what the pass key was that, for this thing, but it was a, yeah. a, for a record that had changed my life. You know, uh-huh. I saw the Stones, and it wasn't Mick Jagger I wanted to be. It was Keith Richards, you know, which I, you know, I got the drug addiction and all that. I'm just working on the other part of the success element. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, 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 yeah, that was kind of the, the, the light bulb, really, eighth grade. And then, and then obviously, like, Bob Dylan then changed everything, and then, from there, the, the you know the songwriters, yeah. uh, you know, then changed the path, you know, because I just wanted to be a guitar player. But then the idea of writing songs uh, seemed, uh, you know, uh, it, you know, it took me years and years to get decent at it. But uh, yeah. but that was the thing, I, the, the path I followed. What was your uh, relationship like with your dad specifically? I get the sense that you may have this similar kind of well, we don't see eye to eye, but we still love each other kind of relationship with your dad. Is that the case? I mean, how yeah, did you absolutely. Guys get along? Yeah, he he was, uh, you know, like Woody Allen says, there's one thing worse than death, and that's being locked in a room with an insurance salesman. Now, he sold insurance, but he was... uh he was he wasn't that guy, you know. He was cool, like he you know, like he used to park cars for like mob places in Chicago as a kid. Well, and they called him Johnny Diversity because he uh, parked the, the restaurant called Isbell's was at the corner of Clark and Diversity. And so mm-hmm. like he had a lot of you know he was a street kid, a city kid, and and uh, but I think you know he and I talk about it a lot. I'll send you the new record, but there's a lot of things I. I, I, you know, I don't know a, a lot about him. Uh, he, I loved him, and uh, but we didn't really have much relationship. You know, we didn't really even communicate that much. No, you know, it was a very kind of stoic relationship, and and towards the end we got closer. But you know, you know, when my mom had passed first, and I had to, it was kind of my duty to take him to breakfast every morning. But but Bob, I'm telling you, it was like it was like going out on a on a bad date with the same woman over and over and over. I was just like, why do I put my? And I would get so nervous, and I would search the internet for like topics to talk about. I mean, literally, it was so. And then I would just say, "Geez, did you, Dad? Did you, uh, you know, Malaysian plane disappeared just right out of the sky." And then, you know, 
So uh, what else do I got? Um, I, I so know what you're talking about. I have lunch with my dad once a month, at least before the oh, plague. And, yeah. yeah, just a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a tough nut to crack. And, yeah, uh, interesting. But yeah, that's that was kind of the relationship. But yeah, he would do this kind of very, you know, he'd always be in this window, which this, you know, we didn't, when we redid the house, we left the window. And uh, and Heather, my wife, said, why don't you want to wow. put a like a light above it, like where he would stand? And I thought... You fucking out of your mind? Like, what are you, what are you trying to, that's the creepiest thing I've ever heard. No, we will not do that. Thank you, though. But you did. Wait. I mean, you you immortalized him with this song. And I swear to God, I mean, speaking of my lunches with my dad, I came home from one of those lunches and the song that I happened to click on, it was like one of those serendipitous <laughs> moments. Right. I, I clicked right. right on Shadow in the Window. And so I started playing that song and boy, it hit me in a way that music seldom does and i love music i listen to music all the time i used to be a musician for a very teeny tiny period of time but this song more than so many others really had an impact on me and i, I would oh, love it. We, we have reverb on yeah. your voice and everything like that for a purpose it's uh, we're gonna hear some of your songs here performed live and uh, i thought yeah. we could start with uh, shadow in the window if let's you want. do that yeah I'll, so let me just move this over here all go. right here we go I'm in the studio, in the house here. All right, so great. Here we go. Maybe he just wanted me to stay. 
and special treat thank you so much for that michael it must be so strange sitting there performing that song in the same house where he lived for so many years that's an incredible thing it's very different for me i gotta say Yeah. yeah i was like well here i am you know there are so few other recording artists whose music reflects the the kind of deep emotion that you wire into your songs. I mean, are there songs that you just can't perform without reliving those emotions? Are there songs that you just like, I, I can't deal with that anymore? Well, yeah. It's, so some of it is like, uh, you know, during the darker periods of my life. The, I don't, uh, I do go back on occasion, but it's like going through like an old uh, scrapbook where you had mm-hmm. bad hair. You know, you don't want to go look at that <laughs> stuff all, every right, night. Like, right. Jesus, we got to go through this again. Um, so, yeah. So, and there's um, on the new record. So this past June, uh, June 1st and 2nd of this past year, I yeah. lost um, 
my niece and my nephew, my brother's uh, two kids, they both oh committed God. suicide. They both killed themselves uh, within two days of each other. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, it's been a terrible, terrible thing for the family. And uh, and, and Aaron, the, the, she, she shot herself second. Um, uh, she and I were close. She had a lot of addiction issues, and I had been through a lot of that with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of... Um, you know, she wasn't. Uh, you know, she didn't. She struggled. Uh, she couldn't quite get there, and uh, and it wasn't. So the last time I saw her, I was here cleaning out like the garage, and uh, uh, it was ten in the morning. And you know, you're never happy cleaning the garage. And so no. the car pulls into the driveway, and it was her. And she got out, and I could immediately tell she was. She was wasted and at 10 in the morning. You know, like that's the last thing I want to do. You know, I mean, I used to be wasted at 10 in the morning a lot. And yeah. uh, so, you know, so I can't from that level, like I'm, I can't take any moral high ground. But it's just I just didn't want to deal with her. And so she came and, you know, she was kind of talking to Heather and, and going around. And then as she as I was taking a box out, uh, I turned and I kind of turned into her and she was coming towards me to hug me. And she said, I know you don't love me anymore. And I said, and I, you know, she kind of put her arms around me, and I broke the grip. And I said, "Aaron, please," you know. And I just kind of was in the middle of this thing, and and I didn't want, you know, she was, it was being melodramatic and crying, and and, but that's the last thing I ever said to her. And yes. uh, and she left a few minutes later, and even Heather was like, "You, you were cold," but, you know, what's most shameful is that, uh, you know, I know all all too well about addiction, and I work it, and I work the steps, all you know, daily, and uh, and that I that I had no empathy for her is something that is going to be very hard for me to get over. So I have I have a song on the record, this new record that was hard to even sing. Uh, and uh, so th- that's a song I, you know, people love it too already. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm never going to play that song. What's the name of the song? It's yeah. called The Veils of Veronica. Mm-hmm. And that Veronica, uh, I assume, is your, uh, your niece? No, no. Aaron, her name is Aaron. The Veils oh, of okay. Veronica is, is a biblical thing. That, I the, see. The, okay. The veil that the woman wiped Jesus' face with. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, but uh, yeah. So that's a song. Yes. To answer your, mm-hmm. your long answer. Uh, but yeah, that's a song I, I, I don't, I, I can't, you know, and I don't want to even touch that one. So when did the cycle of addiction begin for you? Was that something that was uh, at, a, at a younger age, or did, was it sort of more or less the story of the touring recording <laughs> musician that uh, right. sort of worked it its was, way in? Yeah, I think it was both. I think, you know, um, it was, uh, you know, I think, you know, things happened really quickly for me, and things went south very quickly, and I think there was a kind of a storm of sorts, you know, like being washed up at 24 and... Uh, and you know, and having the rug pulled out so fast, yeah. and being on the road it was, you know, and it's the only job in the world in the world where you're like encouraged to be wasted. You know, if you were to go, if you were to work in an office and you went in, there was a big bottle of Jack, beautiful bottle of Jack Daniels on your desk. That'd be like <laughs> then businessmen would be wasted everywhere, and they yeah, are. Yeah. But you know, so that was a, it was just a kind of a, a perfect marriage of sorts, mm-hmm. and I just it lasted way longer than I thought. And um, in in 1990. 95 so i had, so stephen king and i became kind of friendly yeah Stephen's, right he's a recovery he's a guy in recovery and mm-hmm. um and he was down in memphis seeing me and uh and he was very concerned about me and, he, and when he got home he wrote me this letter about uh about what he thought and and you know we had talked about it i knew that i had to clean up and and uh but anyway so i would carry this six page letter around mainly to influence, you know, like to, to show off and read it at, you know, crack houses and dazzle <laughs> people with it. And, um, I did. And to, yeah. you know, like to like, look how important I am. 
as, as you know, as a, I was among my fellow junkies. And um, so, you know, and I'd carry this around and, you know, obviously sometimes I'd cry reading it and I just carried it with me. Every, and so finally, when I got sober now, six years ago, I, you know, I would read it all the time and I looked at the date and it was like, you know, February 23rd, 1995. I thought, God, it took me 19 years of wow. carrying this fucking letter around to finally do it. And so that's, you know, I mean, a lot of it... Uh, you know, it's uh, it was the the journey I had to be on. I don't just spend a lot of time in regret. It was what it was, and uh, but you know, I learned a lot from it. And uh, and but yeah, it was. I, you know, I mean, a, a ten year addiction would have been fine. Twenty. That's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. What was your uh, what was your drug of choice? I mean, what were you doing? Uh, amphetamines of any kind. I mean, I did. Uh, I mean, it was you know, crack, cocaine, uh, yeah. heroin. Uh, you know, anything. I yeah. did. It. But mainly it was it was coke, freebasing, and crack, and. Uh, but you, uh, you know, I did a little of the other stuff, but not a ton. But you said, I mean, you you ran into a brick wall. It wasn't the drugs, though. It was more like it was more grunge, wasn't it? It wasn't uh, Six Twenty West Surf, all about you know, this is a big debut album, and then suddenly grunge hits, and then you're trying like to sell the, your music in that know, atmosphere. I, I, yeah, I think like Nirvana's record came out the same week or something. Oh you know? God! Like, it would be oh like, God! Like be putting out a movie the same week as Titanic, you know? <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> you know. So yeah, it was it was bad timing. I've always had bad, terrible timing, and uh, and then uh, and then I you know and then Pearl Jam came, and then we worked in Seattle, and um, so you know. But I was a kid, and it was like my first record was unfairly folky, I think, because you know mm. I. I did want to rock, and this, you know, I was I was into those bands, and and uh, and so you know, then I ended up making some rock records. But I was always kind of like just on the fringes of things. I was, too, uh, you know, the rock community thought I was a Christian. The Christian community thought I was uh, too secular. Uh, you know, I was just always the guy. I was always outside of where I needed to be, and that was yeah. okay. And that was has been my journey, really. Hmm. Uh, and that's okay. I'm I'm kind of happy with being on the outside guy. You know, I'm kind of yeah. like the Rodney Dangerfield of the music industry. <laughs> I prefer and, uh, to I prefer to think of you as the big star of your big, genre. Yeah, thank, big yes, star. I like the, that is way cooler. Yes. Yeah. The story of Big Star is basically this genius band that just had yeah. bad timing. And that was yeah. it. And that kind of plagued them for those first couple of albums and they kind of just faded out, but they're still immensely influential. I mean, you ask any yes. musician and they're going to say among their pantheon of favorite bands, they're going to say big star. Totally. Yeah. I mean, and again, it has nothing to do with them or the music. It has everything to do with just this, the screwy timing of the record right. industry. Right. I'm, I'm going to steal that from you. I like that. The big star. <laughs> I do. That's I like right. that. That's, that's awesome. Uh, and yeah. they were Memphis guys, weren't they? Yeah, yeah, they were. And so they had that sort of Midwestern. I don't know if you would consider Memphis necessarily Midwestern, but maybe right. there yeah. maybe there's something about uh, you guys in the central time zone that, <laughs> that causes a timing <laughs> issue. I don't know what. But yeah, uh, yeah. so uh, what are some of your uh, influences going in? I mean, because I hear all kinds of, of things in your music and there's no, obviously there's no one homage or there's no one player that I necessarily hear. It's just a, a melange of all kinds of things. I mean, Tom Petty, there's some Joe Walsh in your singing voice, Bob Dylan, oh, uh, Bruce yeah. Springsteen is one right. uh, yeah. huge one that I think of as far as not only the soul and the, and the heart in, in your lyrics, but also your performing style and so many other things, storytelling. Who are some of your influences i imagine they've got to be some of the same right that was all the yeah except you know the only others would be you know uh tom waits would be a guy i, oh, yeah. I took a lot from and john prine you know sadly uh, passed away last night 
Mm-hmm. Um, right. Oh, yeah. So, that's you know, yeah. And he was a Chicago. He grew up, you know, 10 miles from here, where Orland Park, you know, Maywood, Illinois. And uh, did you ever run uh, into him? Did you ever I met him John once on a, on, a, on a boat uh, on this uh, a songwriter cruise. And um, the guy that I uh, kind of mentored me uh, in Chicago when I was a kid and too young to be in bars. And he he um, played with John's band after John had left Chicago. And uh, so he I, I knew about uh, John through this guy, Mike Jordan, believe it or not, his name is. But um, he, uh, yeah, he taught me all about Prine, Prine. And so when I met him, I, t- I said, uh, I can't remember, I was kind of nervous. And uh, uh, I j- just thanked him and, and I said, you know, because he knew this guy, Mike. And, and uh, he said, his, and he had passed away too. Uh, and he said, did Mike die? And I said, he did. And I said, but, mm. you know, he taught me your songbook like it was the Bible. And, uh, wow. and I said, I just want to thank you for that, man. And, and that was it. That was the only interaction we had. But, um, uh, but yeah, so Bruce was the you know Bruce was the ma- the main uh, you know because that was you know in the eighties you know eighty four when I was right. a freshman in high school and you know born in the USA and that was kind of the you know that was that was a, a collision of uh, you know he was a superstar and uh, yeah. and uh, but yeah like I always um, you know he was a, a bit of a revelation but yeah Dylan Petty I mean all those guys I was in Van Morris and I was got you know hugely into him and. And even when I was a kid, and I, mean, I would listen to Odetta and Hank Williams Sr. and and all those, just those great songwriters. And then when I first was starting out too, I would play a guy. This Irish singer asked me to back him up, just be a guitar player. So I had to learn all these old Irish songs that you know were written so many years ago. They don't even know who wrote them anymore. You know? Yeah. And uh, that was a great edu- That was a great schooling for me. You know, it was uh, this song was written not because the guy had to fulfill some shitty record deal he had, but it was written because he you know was starving in Ireland. You so the potato famine or, or whatever you know like learning that kind of real honest uh thing was uh was good for a young kid like that you know i imagine bob dylan is a a, a pretty big influence of yours and, yeah. and you can and you can certainly hear it on the new album especially in the uh title track what in the world yeah. and yeah and we were talking about you know timing and so my timing's always been so bad but like this is the first time that uh you know i'm like oh wow it's actually something that is not like oh if this only came out three years ago Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's still there's still plenty of time. In fact, it might be more timely now than than three years ago because we you know, know we're in the middle of the election. Right. Everyone is just desperate to get rid of this guy, and uh, and so this as a protest song is absolutely perfect. So yeah, let's let's hear it. All right. Here we go.
sight Freedom without liberty Man, it doesn't sit right Clean coal fires Climate change deniers Head full of gasoline Fist full of fire New low Jim Crow Lead the fifth you don't know It's not too hard to see That the president's a criminal Ionized Cody, wipe away your tear same name out june 5 right we're uh, we're still on schedule with the uh, record yeah. release i hope so i think you know it's we have a captive audience <laughs> like, i mean everyone's inside you guys have phones like in their hand do you have like contingency plans for uh touring this or what are you no. what are you gonna do yeah no no we're doing some streaming shows and thank god for that because uh <laughs> you know i was supposed to be in europe now and and uh everything's just been moved they're talking they started rescheduling some of my dates in Norway in October, and they asked if that was okay. And I said, "I think so." You know, I don't know. I think so. I, yeah. You know, wow. it's totally impossible to say. So, you know, cause my, they're, they're talking about a spike. You know, a fall, the autumn oh, spike. Yeah. You know. Yeah, that's right. Well, that, what's probably going to happen is the, because we're going to jump the gun. As soon as things yep. start to level off, then people are going to start rushing out of their homes, and then there's going to be yep. a resurgence. There's going to be another little hump of, of more cases uh, before it eventually goes away. So I don't know. I, I have no idea where this and is And, Bob, headed. what do you think of this, the, this? Have you seen this going around lately? And even Stephen King tweeted about it, but 
There was a guy that used to work on Celebrity Apprentice that's, you know, is, you know, says, you know, without a doubt, he has a terrible Adderall problem, you know, snorting mm-hmm. Adderall. Yeah. Have you heard this too? Have you been mm-hmm. hearing this? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, it's, it makes sense. And, you know, in, as a drug, as an amphetamine, as a stimulant abuser for so many years, mm-hmm. like there's a lot of the behavior that I do, I do recognize with it. And yeah. uh, it is that, that kind of the breathing is, is the thing. And I would catch my, you know, when I was actively in my addiction, like, yeah, there's that you get that thing where you kind of, you know, it's just the kind of constant. And he does it every, yeah. every few words he says. That. <laughs> right. Yeah. The other thing is, I don't know if you noticed this, but there was a uh, a photo going around of him eating a taco bowl. It was from Cinco de Mayo of 2016. And he thought, well, yeah. I'll relate to the Mexicans by showing myself eating a taco bowl from the friendlies right. or whatever that's down in the basement of the Trump Tower. <laughs> and so he's eating this taco bowl. But in the drawer behind him. At his desk, the drawer is wide open, and there are half a dozen boxes of Sudafed in that drawer. So I'm thinking that it's, and I know some other people, uh, Randy Rhodes, for example, uh, talking about Sudafed or pseudoephedrine, Mm. which is the the principal ingredient in in meth, that that is his, like, upper of choice. And and then he uses the Adderall for when he's doing teleprompter speeches. So that's, so he can focus on the words. But when he needs to... You know, let his freak fly, uh, whether it's during these daily Trump shows <laughs> right. or during his rallies. It's all like it's basically meth that he's doing. Right. That he's maybe I don't know if he's crushing it and snorting it or what. But see, I don't think it's I don't think it's meth per se. But yeah, that the the Sudafed thing makes sense, yeah. and uh, and the Adderall makes sense too. I I think there'd be I mean, if you could possibly say there'd be even more erratic behavior if he was on meth. But um, <laughs> yeah, if that's, that's even that possible to yeah. say that. But you would, he would have trouble i think even because i've done plenty of math too it, yeah. it you it's it would be hard to do a <laughs> do a press conference which yeah, yeah. i mean he fails ter- miserably at but uh <laughs> it's it's interesting i i hope that there some people investigate this further because yeah i mean it's uh it's clearly cl- i mean clouds his judgment yeah. you know another thing i noticed about him is my mom and my dad were had dementia yeah. and there is that that l- you know, I would say like the million mile stare, you know, there was oh, that yeah. look sometimes and you knew when they were in that, mo- you know, cause it would vacillate and it would come and go, but you knew when they were having a bout of it, when they would have that look and he has that look and, yeah. and I see it. And, you know, quite frankly, there's this, there was a, um, uh, I heard a guy talking about how so many world leaders are really victims of trauma and, and Trump is certainly in If, if he wasn't so dangerous, I'd feel bad for him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, because he is just, he was a terribly abused child, I think. And, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, I mean, and when you think, when you grow up thinking the world's a dangerous place and they're out to get you and they're going to steal from you, so steal from them first. And like, that's, it's just, it's behavior. Like he's, he's just behaving like, and, and what did he say to um, the ABC? Like, you're never going to make it. Remember he said that the yes, other day? Yes, that's right. And, and you know what? That was, he was just parroting something his father said to him. That's mm-hmm. what I was just, like, you know, his, you could imagine his father saying, you're never going to make it. Like, and he just, he thought of something his his the guy, little guys running the system wiring in his brain yeah. said what's the worst thing you could say to this guy what did dad say dad, you're never gonna make it four <laughs> right. eyes uh, yeah you know yeah you that know? was one of the definitely one of those moments where he was uh, just, trying just, to yeah. he was digging deep for something that uh, he may have heard that's what he always does and totally he, and, and so you see rally Trump emerge when he's uh, taking questions he's gotta gotta always fluff his fanboys yeah. a little and, bit and again too. it goes back to a dick 
addictive behavior. I mean, yeah. he has so many. It, it's just he needs a dopamine hit, and he's not getting it from his rallies. So he needs to just be in front of anybody. And, and when mm -hmm. his anger gets going, that's a hit, too. He gets a spike out of that, too. He's just a junkie. He really is. All his behavior is exhibits exactly what yeah. a junkie does. And I know this because I've, no, I've known it. I've been it. I've studied it. I'm learning still every day about it. Uh, it, it he's got all the symptoms right, of right. a junkie. It's, 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 he's, a dope, he's hooked on his own dopamine, his own rage, his own uh, you know, the, the attention is just, he's a, he had the malignant narcissist. Too, yeah. you know, it's a, it's yeah. pretty clear too, that he's addicted to watching himself on television. He spent yeah. oh, the first half of his day watching himself. I can't get enough of that kind of adulation. Oh, look, I'm on TV. Oh, look, people are talking about me. This but is, see, uh, that's his hit. That's another line. Yeah. It's a line. He's, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> exactly. And, uh, Fox news. Yeah. And so when he starts drifting off in meetings and they say his name, that's a spike. That's how they get his attention. Cause somewhere in his chemistry, it goes, Ooh, I like that. Yeah. And, and and he's just chasing a hit. That's all he does all day long is he chases his dopamine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what is your connection to Matt Damon and Edward Norton in the movie Rounders? How did <laughs> how did that all come about? So the so the guy who signed me, Brian Koppelman, back yeah. in the day, uh, had had you know he was he had signed Tracy Chapman and uh, he had moved this label and we you know he came to Chicago and saw me and signed me and we just hit it off and we became you know best friends and just brothers and have to this day still are. And um, so he and my, uh, um, you know, Brian's grew up and his best friend is this guy, David Levine. And so the three of us were a, a group. And, uh, you know, I was hunkered down with Levine during the L.A. riots in 92. And, and we've all just wow. been a group since. Yeah. And so they started, David was a writer and, you know, working as a bartender in New York. And we, David and I would just go out and prowl the streets, you know. And Brian worked at EMI, and so they started writing. And Brian was kind of a stuck artist, and and uh, so they started writing this screenplay. So they went to, they they love poker. I used to go to underground poker places in New York, really just to score drugs. <laughs> and I would, you know, go there, and all the like the the mob guys and everything. They would always they'd have blowout on the table, and that was always a good safe bet to go. Why why have I not heard of these underground polka places <laughs> where you can get drugs? That is something that needs to be on like a Zagat's Guide or something. And this is before like it was on ESPN. This is like you know early nineties. Wow. You know? yeah. And uh, so anyway, so that was kind of the thing, and 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 they started writing the screenplay, and um, and they so. You know, it was just a name. I was just the name. I see. And it's funny. So, I went, I, so they finally were making the movie, and uh, I got to go out to the set, and I was like, "Who's playing? My, you know, me. You know, it's me. The name." And and even Ed Norton's character is Lester Murphy, and my last name's Murphy. Um, hmm. And uh, they called him Worm, and my nickname is Dog. And, and really, it's just a <laughs> it, it's it's a fictional movie. Obviously, yeah. I never went to law school, and uh, but I got to go to the set, and it was it was it was, it was fascinating because Matt was just becoming a big star, mm -hmm. and. Uh, and uh, but it was it was amazing to see them work. Ed, Edward Norton's a real like he's a guy. Uh, not to take anything away from Matt, but when Ed would walk into a room, man, you knew it. Like he had a real something. He had an air about him, which yeah. was which was Presence. really impressive. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they would tell stories like you know Brian would tell stories about some of the stupid shit I would do, and and uh, you know it was kind of funny. And it was one of the almost those moments where I was like, they're not laughing with you, man. They're laughing at you, you know, <laughs> and some of the terrible mistakes I made. And I got myself into a fair bit of trouble in New York, yeah. you know, and uh, um, so 
Anyway, that's the only connection, and uh, it's, it became, you know, and, it, and uh, it's kind of a, it's a cult classic. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. What, what's the deal with Samoan gun runners, Michael? So that was Chicago. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was, that was, that was entirely different. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, some of the, uh, you know, it was always, it was always drug based and, uh, and, uh, you know, there was a, there was a, vi- you know, I've had some, you know, and it was always kind of like this, these fringe mob elements, which were, you know, who knew how real it was, but you know, wow. when you're in, when you get into that and there was a night that I, I, I found myself with, uh, some re- some heavier guys and I, and I didn't know, and I was with a guy who was being a jackass and, and they didn't like my friend. And I said, we'll, we'll leave. And they kind of warned me, they wanted me to stay, but they wanted my friend to go. And, mm-hmm. and, um, but we ended up going back to this guy's house, and uh, so you know, there were a lot of drugs. And uh, th- this girl tried to uh, we we tried to get her to leave uh, this party, and and I was kind of designated with getting her out. And uh, I I walked her to the door, but then she snuck into this bathroom that was right by the door. And uh, so I was trying to coax her out of there. And finally, I gave up and I started walking down the hall. And I heard the door open, and I turned around. And she came at me with pair of scissors and she tried to stab me and so I grabbed her and everybody came to my aid and they they beat the hell out of this girl and uh oh no and the police yeah the police came and it was uh it was I'd never been in something so violent and just animalistic and it was uh it was really scary and uh I was I was shook and uh and then the funniest thing is, is the cops were pounding at the door you know, NYPD opened up and they they came and they gave me the bag of coke you know, like, like wait, and they just gave it to wait, wait here. And so I just stuck it in my pocket like a moron, you know, like what we had to open the door because they were going to bust it down. And uh, but they never checked. I think the cops knew something bad was going on and they knew these guys were not to be trifled with. And so they, they t- kind of turned away. They took the girl away in an ambulance and uh, but nobody was charged in the and uh, it was I got out of there, man. It was it was you know, it was scary. Wow. That was uh <laughs> anyway, that was one thing. The Samoan gunrunner was a different crazy lunatic in Chicago. And he would, you know, run these guns from North Carolina and yeah. uh, drugs and uh, but yeah, I just kinda of always found myself next to these, you know, kind of crazy people and it was uh it was uh, it was interesting and it was great fodder for a writer, you know, uh but you know, it got too dangerously close sometimes. Yeah. That's one yeah. of the most Gen X things I've ever heard, Michael. They they, they just handed <laughs> you the cocaine. It was like Brian from the Breakfast Club. Where's the cocaine? Oh, Michael's exactly. got it in his underpants. Right, in his underwear, yeah. Right. <laughs> Totally, totally. And I had, like, I mean, it was just stupid to take it. And I remember while the cops were, like, pounding and this girl's bleeding, uh, you know, I looked down the hallway and they were still at, over this table going, I don't want that big of a line. No, it's just smaller. It's just smaller. And I was like, you guys, you guys. The cops are they're like, no, you do this one. Do that one. No, 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 I don't want that big of a line. Here, what are we going to do with it? And then they go, give it to Michael. And uh, so, yeah. Yeah. See, that's, you know, the the pain in the ass about addiction is it's horrible and it's great that you're now what six years into recovery yes but but boy you've got the stories you at yeah, least have no. that and you survived right <laughs> yeah i mean it's amazing it's totally amazing and uh yeah it's just i yeah and it's just it's weird to relive it's it's so it's literally like i'm just telling somebody else's life it's it was uh yeah it's it's i'm so disconnected from that it seems uh, unbelievable yeah. yeah so uh you started recovery 2014 i mean what yes. uh what triggered that did you finally decide enough or was there some sort of inciting incident that led you to it 
Well, I think it was it was getting to a spiral. I was getting very, you know, it was, it was going down fast. And yeah. I was, uh, Heather would stay awake to hear me breathing to make sure I was still breathing. I was mm-hmm. just polluting myself. And, you know, it just it was, uh, I knew it was coming to an end. And then I think, from what I remember, my last night out, I came home and passed out at, on the table. And, you know, when your kid starts looking at you like you're a lunatic, I, that that resonated too. And and Heather just said, you know, you got to make a call today. You know, either I'll call the hospital or you call somebody and get yourself to a meeting. And mm-hmm. and uh, and I said, what I do? And she's like, I don't even want to talk about. It. You know, uh, hmm. it's, that's not even the issue. Yeah. you got to make. You know, so that was it. And I think on some level, you know, I, I'm not sure if this is entirely true, but I think I was wanting permission to you know like it had been my narrative for so long that i was the drunk poet guy and yeah. uh you know like it was just this this false narrative that i i lived and i thought can i just go can i end this because i i didn't want it to go any 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 longer and i had periods of sobriety maybe a month or two but i'd never uh in that you know and so but now i don't i don't think about it i mean this first year wasn't easy and mm-hmm. uh but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a it, good life. I mean, it's funny how it works, where it almost becomes part of your personal brand. Like you feel like, like, yeah, like with totally. me, any of the bad decisions I've always made were the ones that were born out of. <laughs> well, if you're a DJ, if you're on the radio, you have to do these things. You you right. have to try this. You have to do that. And so I imagine it's very similar with a touring musician. Uh, You know, there's certain, I I don't know, you place these expectations on yourself more than anyone else. Yes. And then, and then you end up trapped, right? Yeah. And then people would be like, what's he going to write about now? You know? (laughs) And I remember John Hyatt and I love John Hyatt. He's a lovely guy, but like, I remember even when I was younger, I saw that he got sober and I read some review of his album and it said, the only bars I go to now have lettuce and tomatoes. And I thought, oh. God, is that what is that what happens to you when you get sober? <laughs> oh, man, yeah. You know, like, oh, yeah. I don't want to be that yeah. guy. But John's a lovely guy. And I just, it's whatever. I'm cherry picking one line, but uh, but yeah, I I find that I'm working more now, and I'm and I'm just. It's nice to have a clear eye about it. Well, let's uh, let's hear a song from Out from Under, um, okay. the third and final mm-hmm. song here. Um, yeah. What do you want to do? This world will break your heart. I'm going to do that one. Yeah. Great. Um,
Now Ellie lost her baby in the final month. The room was painted blue, they had a name picked for their son. The husband said they'd try again, he didn't know what else to say. Fifty years of marriage, if he'd made it till July The nurse gave back his clothes as she began to cry She told the social worker, I got nowhere else to stay And this world will break your heart And this world will break your heart And this world world will break your heart from uh out from under oh my god you're such an incredible song every single one mm-hmm. is i i go through all your albums and i listen to song after song after song they just get better and better and better and in fact one of the albums that i go to almost every day is uh orphans uh that you released uh, last year uh 2019 yeah, that album has songs that were pulled from the sessions from willow springs and out from under which is just yes. an incredible thing it's almost as a this amazing album, Orphans, is full of songs that weren't good enough for the other two albums, but yet they're still the most amazing songs. I mean, Giving Up the oh. Ghost is a is a masterpiece. That is one of the oh, greatest songs you. ever written, ever recorded. And you know, the other thing I, that's running through my head as I'm listening to you perform is you've clearly put in your Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours. It's evident in, in hearing you perform these songs. If there was one thing, though, that you could go back in time and tell yourself back during, like, hour one in, say, 1991 or even before that, what would that one thing be? What would that bit of wisdom be? Well, yeah, it's funny that you, because the, the 10,000 hours, I would say work harder 
because yeah. I think I just squandered so much time, you know, just recovering, you know, from the night before that, you know, it was just a lot of good, you know, there's that um, <clears throat> Andy Warhol thing would tell Lou Reed uh, every day, he'd say, how many songs did you write today? And Lou would say, uh, lie and say three. And he said, you should have written five. You're not going to be young forever. You know, like whatever it was, you should, I should have worked, you know, yeah. and you know, really nobody's going to think, you know, on their dying, their deathbed or on the front porch moment, uh, I should have worked more, but, um, and the, I think I'm trying to make up for that now, but, uh, I, I wish I would have written, had more time, um, uh, you know, in that, in that, that youthful spirit. That's all. And you find that uh, it, it seems like you're one of these recording artists who actually begins to gain momentum as as time goes on rather than, you know, you see a lot of recording artists who are now, especially when they're 20 years in, 30 years in, in some cases, they start to coast and they start to become almost like a legacy performer rather than, yeah. you know, developing new work all the time. You're going as strong as ever, and it's I really yeah, impressive I think I was, to see. I was, I was idling in a state of arrested development for so long that I think I'm just, I, I feel like, I do feel uh, youthful again, because I think in my youthful years, you know, the Bob Dylan line, I was so much older then, I'm younger than mm. that now, you know, and uh, I, I feel that way, you know, I, and because, um, you know, I didn't care whether I lived or died, and, and I, I really didn't, and I wanted it all to be over, but now I, I feel totally the opposite, yeah. I, and... Um, and I think, you know, in this weird time, it's just, it's, I think the mother nature's got to be smiling. She's, she can breathe for a little bit. And, uh, yeah. and I, I really hope we all take the advantage of this, this pause button to, yeah. to really come out better, better to each other, better to, to our families, to our, you know, whomever is in our lives and to strangers and those more, more vulnerable than us. You know? yeah. Speaking for myself, but I'm sure a lot of people listening right now, I'm so grateful that you're still around writing this music, recording this music and letting us all hear it. So oh, uh, thank you. And Bob, you're a, you're a frontliner too, man. You're, you're out there fighting the good fight. We, we need voices like yours. And I've been so grateful to find you and and uh, my wife too. We listen to you, and it's uh, it's great, and uh, you, it's important work you're doing. Well, it was such a pleasure, Michael. Thank you so much for your time today. I absolutely want to have you back on, if for no other oh, reason, to you just play a bunch more songs. I could just sit yeah, here. Yeah, we could talk more about drugs and Trump. <laughs> you're on. Let's do it. All right, just my friend. Thank, All right, thank you, Bob. Thank you so much. The new album is out June 5th. What in the world? Oh my God, get in line now. Thank you so much, Michael. Take thank it you, easy. Bye bye. So long. Bye.